0: Welcome to another episode of the Your Home Buying Guide podcast. This is your one-stop shop home buying guide where every week I'm going to bring in industry experts to answer all of the most common home buying questions. I'm your host, Gotti Pulsito, and this week we are joined by Andrea Davis-Tarantino of Hometown National Realty. And Andrea, I want to start this off letting you kind of brag about yourself for a little bit. So tell us about yourself, how long you've been a realtor, why did you decide to become one? And what areas you cover right now?
1: So, uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you reaching out. I'm flattered. I I work mostly Worcester County. I have a two-year-old, so I try to keep as close to home as I possibly can. So, usually within like 40, 45 minutes, um, with the exception of today. (laughs) But yes, I usually try to keep within 45 minutes of home. So, that pretty much covers a a lot of Worcester County. And I've been in the industry for four years. And it's honestly something that I had always kind of thought about doing. I love real estate. I remember like back when I was like five, six years old, my dad was always watching this old house. And like what five-year-old is watching this old house with their father, right? But I loved it. And I was you are. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I ate it up. Like I loved the construction element to it. Like I loved all of that. The before and afters. I mean, so... I was in like holistic health for a long time and I can always kind of thought about becoming a realtor, but I was like, oh, I'll do it like later down the line when I'm looking for something else to get into. And then it just, it kept calling me. And my friend who's actually my broker now, she, I had a conversation with her and she was like, you would be absolutely great in this. I a hundred percent support you. You should come and give it a try. So I got my license and then four months later, the pandemic hit.
0: It was like perfect timing. <laughs> I knew that like four years ago, I threw the mouth of my head. It's like, yeah. Yeah,
1: wow. yeah. But honestly, the timing, I think, was pretty good because one thing that it really taught me was how to write all real bid offers. Because <laughs> you had to get creative to be competitive for your buyers. So I have a lot of tricks in my in bag.
0: And I think, too, like when you go back to the beginning of COVID, everything in the industry changed right? Like so many things were going to virtual. I guess you're still going on showings as a realtor, but you're not doing like all of the open houses. So like the whole industry was forced to adapt new ways of marketing, new ways of trying to find clients and everything. So you starting then, you weren't going into it, starting like learning one method and then having to pivot and learn something completely new. You were pretty much Still in the learning phase when COVID happened, which is honestly probably a good thing for you. So you're you're four years a hundred percent. So you're four years in at this point. What do you think you do better than every other realtor out there? I think from coming from a holistic
1: health background and I have had some pretty significant health challenges in my life. And so I've learned pretty early on that I have to take care of myself before I can take care of other people. So that's always my goal and my focus first. And I think that helps me show up for my clients better. And there's, you see like a lot of like memes and jokes and people posting things about like how realtors are like working 24 hours a day. And then they're like drinking after work and it's like a total grind and like a hustle. And I'm like, that's not for me. That's, that's not how I operate my business. That's not what my goal has ever been. And I think because that keeps me more grounded and focused on what's important, that I take care of myself and then I'm able to show up for my clients in a really, you know, meaningful and authentic way.
0: Yeah. I think balance is important in everything. And the fact that you're setting a line, setting a boundary, obviously you're still going an hour and a half to a show and today like it's not it's you're doing a little bit of both which i think is important.
1: so that's for a friend otherwise yes i do and it, i did set that boundary but friends and the family i stretch a little bit more for but yeah and i mean i do because i have a son i do have to be creative with when i work and when i don't so it's not like i i'm punching out at six o'clock and saying don't call me i'm available
0: to my clients but i still make sure that i have time for myself and my family that's important. yeah absolutely so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, there like the the big hot topic in the industry right now is how high interest rates are. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, you started this mini series on Instagram about ways to combat high interest rates, and I want to talk a lot about that today. So can you share the three ways that you talked about during that mini series? We'll kind of divide up from there and kind of dive in a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah. So the three ways that I talked about was the an arm loan, the doing a rate buy down and then house hacking.
0: First off, I absolutely love the miniseries. Like as soon as I as soon as I saw you post about it, I'm like, OK, I need to have Andrea on the podcast to talk about this. <laughs> because there's just it's everybody's talking about it. Right. Interest rates are high. Inventory is low. Like there are a million reasons not to buy. Antires look Correct. And these are really good reasons that make buying possible in a tough market like this. So as far as buy downs are concerned, you talked about a couple different options. You talked about the 2-1 buy down, a three-two-one buy down, and then just a buy, buy down in perpetuity. Can you explain for the audience what those are? We can kind of dive in a little bit deeper on that as well.
1: And so obviously your background makes you, you know, <laughs> have more expertise in this than I do. But from what I know from working in the industry as a realtor, so the the rate buy down, this is the first thing that I was familiar with before. I didn't really start hearing about a 2-1 buy down or a 3 one buy down until like the pandemic really hit. And I think it's because people were looking for creative ways to be able to still buy. And so the rate buy down, the original one that I had become familiar with was basically purchasing discount points up ahead and that would lower your interest rate. So you put a certain how, amount of money down. I think it's like 1% of um, the uh, price of the purchase, Low, uh, one yeah. discount point, right? Um, and, and most lenders, I think, have their own pricing around that. And so that essentially brings down your rate on your mortgage. And then the 3 to one or the 2-1 buy down is basically... For the first year, it's 2% lower. And then for the second year, it's 1% lower. And then on the third year, it goes to the agreed upon rate that you originally talked to and agreed upon with your lender. So that's a great way to head off those rates, but give yourself a couple of years of potentially being able to refinance if rates come down a bit. So it gives you some time and flexibility to do that. And obviously the three, two, one is the same thing, but it's the third year, second year.
0: Correct. Yeah. So I think the the big thing to take from this, right, is there are a lot of areas, a lot of opportunities for buyers to go in and get a lower interest rate than they're currently seeing in the market, right? The 2-1 buy-down, the three two one buy-down, those are both really good options in today's market, right? The buy-down and perpetuity, like the original rate buy-down, that is a really good opportunity for someone to prepay some of that interest in a scenario where rates are maybe just slightly higher and they'd need their payment to go down a little bit for debt to income ratios to match, right? Sure. That's like where that would be the absolute perfect scenario. That's something that goes out forever, right? That goes throughout the life of the loan. The 2-1 buy-down, the three-two-one buy-down are temporary buy-downs, right? And you kind of explained this, but a 2-1 buy-down goes out two years, but the price difference or the, the payment difference can be pretty drastic. I've put together a couple different scenarios, right? So if you look at the median sales price across Worcester County, it's probably right around like $500,000, right? So if you look at a loan amount of like $400,000, today, current interest rates right around 7.5%. And again, depending on when you're listening to this, that number might change. Right. But a 2-1 buy down, if you were to get it all the way down to five and a half percent, principal and interest payment alone goes from just under $2,800 a month to 2270 a month. Mm-hmm. So It's a difference of $500. Yeah, that's
1: a big difference.
0: It's a massive, massive difference. And when you're talking about the environment that we're in right now, the goal Right. the What everyone keeps projecting, like you should be able to refinance some point in the next one to two years. Right. right. It might not be a drastic difference in the next six months or a year, but at some point in the next two years, the goal should be to refinance. Right. And if that's the case, you just went an entire year of an extra $500, essentially, that you, you're putting in your pocket, you're saving at this point. Now, I think the the big key to this is getting seller credits out of it. I was just going to mention that. That's what so,
1: we're seeing it more so, like getting a seller credit, if the opportunity presents itself, because it's not always possible in all properties correct. right now. But if the opportunity presents itself and you can get that credit, then you use that to
0: buy it down instead of coming out of pocket for it. And that was my next question, because I know like at the peak of pandemic, right, when house, the market was crazy, you weren't getting seller credits. Today, houses are sitting a little bit longer. So what are some of the like houses that you've seen sellers actually provide those credits?
1: That's exactly it. Anything that is sitting a little bit longer. So whenever they're, I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but like the house that I'm going to look at today in the haunt, it's like it's been on the market through two weekend cycles. Wow. And we set Yeah. And that's right now you're like, oh, okay. well, that's an opportunity to offer less. Right. And so when you see that happening, when there's an opportunity like that, that the seller is going to be a little bit more open to providing a credit or being, you know, negotiating what the terms are going to look like.
0: I think a lot of people because I've I've brought this up to a lot of different buyers, I've brought up to realtors and a lot of people can't seem to wrap their head around it. So I want to explain why a seller would accept seller credits in this scenario. If you go back a couple of years, everybody was bidding $40,000 over asking just to get a house, right? Those days kind of over, right? But homes back then were still appraising 40 grand over asking. Why? Because right. the market is just crazy in general. So in today's market, that same buy down scenario that I was just explaining, it costs $9,500 to do right so if you can get a seller credit of 10 grand if the house is worth if they're listing it for $500,000 you're not going in you don't have to go in and offer 490 you still offer 500 or potentially even 510 right and you're get you're asking for $10,000 back so they're still getting the same amount that they would have got before right but instead of you paying extra like they're giving you $10,000 back still netting the right. same $500,000 if you put in an offer of 510. So the financed amount is just a little bit higher. Again, you're hoping that the home appraises for that value, but a difference of $10,000 right. is probably going to appraise whatever, right? right. it's still today. So I think that's a, a huge option and one that I think a lot of people should be taking more advantage of, frankly. So I'm glad, I'm glad that was one of the, the things that you put out on Instagram, because I think a lot of people need to hear about it. And that's why I wanted to have you on, kind of talk about that in a little bit more depth. But the other option that you had mentioned was ARMS, adjustable rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. So as a realtor, are you seeing more buyers going this route?
1: Yeah. I actually just had a buyer use an ARM loan and it was basically under the same premise as the rate buy down, which is that you're doing a adjustable rate mortgage. She got a seven year. So she has seven years to then go back and refinance. So the likelihood that interest rates aren't going to come down in the next seven years is pretty unlikely. Yeah. So it okay, so presented a really good opportunity. <laughs> I mean, listen, the Fed med, they said they're not raising really, rates, really, So I mean, that it presents a good opportunity for that. So, I, I mean, it, it's essentially the same type of strategy where, like, you're not going to, the idea isn't to sit with an arm loan, right? Because it's an adjustable rate. It can, it will go up after that initial period or five to seven years, whatever it is that you agreed upon. So, you, you do want to refinance, but it's a strategy. That's where you use that type of a loan.
0: Yeah. And any type of arm loan situation, this is where, You're a loan officer is so important. And and honestly, it goes straight for the buy downs too. I think a lot of people, when you're looking at lenders, there are a million of them out there, just like there are realtors, frankly, but you have the opportunity to go to a Rocket Mortgage. You have any of those online lenders, right? There's a million of them. Put in your information, they'll spit out a pre-approval, done, good to go. However, what Rocket Mortgage isn't going to do that someone like myself will do is make sure that they're keeping an eye on the market for you. And following up with you. Correct. There have been many situations, and this happened to me, well, not to me, but to one of my clients, they had an arm. This was like, as I was first getting into the business and I ended up refinancing them after, but they had an arm, it adjusted. This was again, right when rates were starting to get really high uh, and their payment went up $600 a month. It is a massive, massive shift. So they didn't have a loan officer that reached out to them proactively. Cause again, this was before I started, or it was as I was starting, but kind of getting into the role. So they weren't, they didn't close with me the first time. Now they're one of my clients. I'm keeping that yeah. for it. Yeah. But these are things that you can get ahead of a $600 payment jump. That's a big... is massive, huge. So that can hurt a lot when it happens. So that, again, another great option in today's market is going the arm route, but make sure that you're working with someone that right. knows what they're doing and plans on staying in the business for a while because that's true. It, if it gets to a point down the road, it can be extremely challenging to have that conversation, not knowing when rates might move or not knowing what your payment might be because it shifts right. three, potentially six months after that.
1: And your average person is not looking at the news and watching interest rates. They're not thinking about that stuff. You and I are because we're in it. We are living every day. But yep. someone just isn't looking at their mortgage, thinking, "Oh, okay. When do
0: I need to pay attention to what interest rates are doing?" Correct. And I I never did prior to right. so prior to becoming a loan officer. But like right. I don't I don't know. I never looked at that because I just I didn't feel the need to. But now I'm here, and now I'm paying attention every day. So the other the other area that you talked about was house hacking. This is probably one of the, the more unique scenarios. And I've talked to, I've had some real estate investors who have come on and we've talked about it in the past as well, but I'm curious your thoughts. Can you explain to any new listeners that haven't heard about it, what house hacking is?
1: Yeah. So house hacking is essentially just trying to figure out a way to when you purchase a home, how do you create an income stream from the home that you purchase to kind of mitigate the expenses of what you're paying for your mortgage? And so it's funny, because I actually, this is like my family's legacy. <laughs> so my parents always owned rental properties growing up. And now I help them maintain and rent and yada yada yad, yad, do the managing and stuff for one of the properties that we have. But they this is how they started building their independent wealth and their portfolio was that they lived in an apartment building and the landlord sold it to them. And so they used that as their rental income. I mean, they used all the rental income income to pay the mortgage. And then within I think it was like seven years later, they used all of that money to then go and build their single family claim and they kept that building to help pay for the mortgage on their home. So what I explained in the video was essentially house hacking would be a a really easy example that was a little choppy. But if you buy a two-family, you live in one side and you rent out the other side and you use that rental income to offset the cost of your mortgage. And if you wanted to do a three-family, you could do that same scenario. But because you have now two units that you're renting out, you could potentially live there and have both of those units pay the mortgage. And then you're not paying any of the mortgage. You're just maintaining the property and obviously responsible for all the costs if something breaks there, you need a roof or things like that. So it's not something to be taken lightly. And you also have to want to be a landlord in that scenario, which is not for everybody, (laughs) but it's a great opportunity. There's other ways too. I think that that's like the main one that makes the most sense. That is probably has the least risk involved, I would say, versus like doing an Airbnb or something like that, where it's more short-term rentals. That's an opportunity too, but I feel like that's for more of an experienced kind of investor. Whereas this is something where you're on the property, so you're kind of, you see the day in, the day out of what's going on. And it's just a good opportunity to just build your portfolio if you want to long-term like have a real estate portfolio or you just sell it in five years and you use all of the equity that you built and you put it towards a single family home for yourself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's such a great resource for a lot of people because frankly, because you're able to use rental income as other income on your application, you exactly. also qualify for a more expensive property. Right. So you're building a lot more equity because the property that you're in is significantly bigger. So if you were to, and a lot of people do end up keeping that house, but at some point you have enough equity built up in it, you could do a cash out refinance at that point, take all that money, use that as a down payment on your next property or sell it, buy a couple properties, right? Like there are a lot of different avenues using this method to build like serious long-term wealth. But also right. just put yourself into a house faster, right? Yeah. So I think I think it's a and real estate's one of the best investments you can make. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll say that. I'll shout that from the rooftops every. <laughs> uh, and not just because we're in the real estate business. It's correct. True. <laughs> correct. Uh, so all of this stuff is great, right? Like this is this is why I wanted to have you on talk about these three things. There are still going to be buyers out there that are concerned. So what is your advice for first-time buyers who may be concerned that buying right now isn't the best option for them?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my advice would be, and this has a caveat, so don't wait until rates come down. And that's why I did this series, because I feel like it's very ill-advised. I understand why people are scared because of rates. But because there's ways to mitigate that, there's ways to combat high interest rates. This is the caveat. If you are ready, right? So I say this a lot on Instagram. If you're feeling rushed because you're like, oh, no, the market's this, the market's that. If you're not ready, you're not ready. It's just not the time for you, right? But if you have all of your ducks in a row, financially, you're in the place in your life where it makes sense for you, then you should not wait. There are ways to get around interest rates and get on the train. And this is what I say to people. You want to get educated, have a conversation with a loan professional or a real estate professional, get educated on it, get comfortable, and make sure that you have all your ducks in a row because the real estate tree is going to keep going with or without you. So the sooner you can hop on and start building equity, the better because we don't have a crystal ball, but the way that experts are projecting everything right now, it doesn't look like anything is going to depreciate anytime soon everything's going to keep getting you're going to keep building equity if you can get into a house right now so waiting until spring unfortunately you're just going to be coming back up against all the competition with the buyers that are doing the same thing they're waiting on the sidelines they want to see if rates are going to come down and if rates come down in the spring then we're going to go right back to being in those competitions and bidding wars but the thing is you can refinance out of a high interest rate. You can't refinance your way out of paying $50,000 over on a house. There's nothing you can do about that scenario. So that's why it makes more sense <laughs> to to buy now and then figure out the rate later.
0: Yeah. I think the the caveat that you put in there, if you're ready, is so you're important. Ready. It's so important. And I have this conversation all the time like obviously if you watch any of the content that I put out there, uh, a lot of it is "if you're ready by now." But the whole "if you're ready" part is the most important piece to this. Like I've had conversations with people that want to buy now; they're not ready now. Like they don't have enough in savings, they don't have anything for a down payment or closing costs, they don't make enough. Like there are people that it's not possible to buy, so that this conversation isn't for them. But in those scenarios, like I'm. I'm sitting down with them. I'm putting together a savings budget. I'm putting together a budget, a goal, and trying to figure out areas for them to put themselves in a better position down the road. So the people that are ready now, you're never going to strike out in real estate. Like last week I had on realtor, we talked about the cost of waiting. And if you look at the last 80 years, right, there has not been a single, there hasn't been a single decade including the 2000s and 2010s when the market crashed, there hasn't been a single decade where homes haven't appreciated. So if you're trying to buy a property, start making money, start building equity, you're not going to strike out in this market. Right. Absolutely. And that's just, I think, the important part. But again, as you said, as I just kind of went through, you need to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. If you're ready, die then. So that's great advice for buyers. On the flip side, I'm, this is just out of genuine curiosity for me. What is the best piece of advice that you were ever given in your career?
1: So there's two things. And one of them is, I think, more relevant right now. And it seems like kind of a small thing, but my broker, who's a long-term friend of mine, and she's been in the business for 25, almost 30 years she said to me, always split your commission. It's the fair thing to do. And so that's what I've always done. And I split it down the middle. And it's interesting to me to see how often that doesn't happen. But I kind of look at it as like putting money in the karma bank, right? So like, for buyers, I know, like, when you're starting, you're like, it's a grind trying to just like, you're working with buyers, working with buyers, working with buyers, and you're relying on the commission side from the sellers to give you what you're earning, right? Usually that's how it goes. You end up working with sellers once you get a little bit more experience. And so now that I'm more experienced and I'm working with sellers more, I kind of looked at it as like, it's like a paying it forward type of thing, right? So sure. I know what it's like to be on the other side of it. And I know how hard buyers agents work. And so I always put my commission down on it. So that is, I think, more relevant now because of everything that's going on with the NAR and the, but the other thing was I had another, a friend of mine, Bethany, her and her partner actually have a bridge out in Western Mass. And she had said to me sometime, like maybe two years ago, she was like, we just look at it like there's always enough for everybody. And that to me is like a mindset shift in real estate because it can come from like, everyone can come from a place of like competition, competition, competition. And that makes it really difficult because you're really looking at, like, your colleagues, like, your, your co-workers, like, someone becomes your coworker for six months or three months or two months or whatever it is that you're, like, in the game with them, right? So I, I try to look at it from that point of view. It's just, like, a mindset shift, and it's really helped me just come from a place of looking at every agent that I come in contact with. I'm happy to give you my contacts. I'm happy to help if you will need information and you're not from this area. Like, here's my photographer. Here's my attorney. So that has really been helpful for me in my business. I think being successful.
0: Yeah. I love that. One of the realtors I had on Paul Santucci he's out of North Reading. So like North shore. And he talked about that on the podcast too. He's like, listen, there are so many realtors out there. There are so many buyers out there. It doesn't like, you're you're not, you don't need to be competing against each other. Like he tries to lift them up and it's kind of similar to what you're saying. Like it's not Me versus you, like at the end of the day, trying to help buyers. Obviously, you want to do more business, and like, like that's the goal, right? But it's not not a reason to look down at other people or not help, not lend a helping hand. Because honestly, at the end of the day, if you do lend a helping hand and you have buyers that are looking at a property and that seller's agent is on the other side of it, they might see that you've done them a solid in the past and help them out you. everything you comes, never know but you're gonna come up exactly everything comes full circle so oh, I, I do appreciate that i do appreciate that but andrew that's where we're gonna wrap things up i appreciate you hopping on i know you're gonna get going here to, yeah, to the hour and out hour out evening, but this was a lot of fun i think it's very informative so i appreciate you coming on and we'll have to sit together and get coffee or something soon
1: yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I love that you're doing this it's really helpful right now. Buyers and, and sellers, they
0: need the information. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. That is all for this week, guys. We'll talk soon.